with your host, Jeff Kowal, from the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialists. Good morning. Welcome. It's WISN, the retirement clinic with the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialist on the air today, hosted by Aaron Spitzner and Chauncey Weisensell. Guys, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Spitz, how you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm doing great. I haven't talked to you guys since yeah, the end of the a, uh, been a while. Packer football season. Um, you know, nobody wants to talk about football when your team loses, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> Especially the 49ers. Especially oh, the way that. Yeah. Oh, although, in the big picture. What a great nice. way to start the show. Just, just bringing you down. Going down that road. Yes. Just bringing everybody down. No, we're not going to talk football. <laughs> we're talking retirement, but we, we're going to mix it up a bit today. Before I get to anything, a little background on the Kowal Investment Group. You are the retirement specialist, Chauncey. That's what you do. It's all about retirement. That's what this show covers. Yep. And um, you also do the market reports Monday through Friday during the Mark Belling Show. So that's a daily, you know, where is this market at today? And what does it mean to us as invest as investors? It means a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. There can be lots of swings in day-to-day and small little uh, tidbits of information can make the, the market swing either way. And uh, it's good to tune in and catch that and see how it applies to you and your portfolio. I mean, it's been a pretty good year. Um, not it's only February. <laughs> it's been a good kind of a run for average 401k people that see it climb a little bit, Aaron. Never get too excited because it's the big picture. Yeah, and I think uh, coming off of the surprise we had at the end of 2023, um, you know, if you remember in October, end of October of 2023, um, it was doomsday i mean people were not feeling really good about the markets uh they weren't feeling good really about much and then things turned really quick and that's how fast it can happen we saw great returns from bonds and stocks over the last two months of the year and now into 2024 things have been have been okay so far um no no major surprises one way or another uh which is okay um, and I guess we'll we'll see where we go from here. And uh, predictions are all over the place, and that's why it's good to be diversified in your portfolio. Um, and uh, that's why we don't put all the eggs in one basket because nobody knows from one day to the next what is exactly is going to happen. Or take things for granted, Chauncey, yes. right? Yeah, never take things for granted, right? And that's where Spitz talked about diversification, right? Hold a little bit of everything. Um, don't ever put all the chips on red, especially when it comes to your retirement planning. The Kowal Investment Group has lots of advisors, but you all have these acronyms and these these goofy names. I don't know what they are, they mean. It's like a doctor or having a, in a, a certain degree. <laughs> I'm going to ask you what they all mean, Chauncey. What is what are you? So uh, I recently became a certified financial planner. Um, Spitz is already one, um, but um, a what, CFP, CFP, certified financial planner. Um, what it is essentially is it took it took me about a year of studying. Um, you know, classes after work, online, stuff like that, studying quizzes. You go through about uh, six different books, and then there's a whole big review book. Um, and then you have to pass a test on each book that you take, and then you sit at the end for a seven-hour exam. And if you pass the lovely... Sounds like a lot of fun. Well, you did it. It, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> I'd say I'm glad, I'm glad it's over. Uh, <laughs> and and that designation, the, the reason we bring it up, uh, you hear financial advisor. I guess anybody can put up a, a sign on the sure. building. 
financial advisor. Uh, certification is one thing. And then working with a company like the Kowal Investment Group, while we're at it, let's talk about all of these locations. You can meet anyway if it's virtual, Chauncey, yes. Yeah, Zoom. We Zoom with people all over the country. I think we're licensed in 26, 27 different states, something like that. Um, so we have clients that Zoom from Florida, Carolinas, California, Minnesota. Or from Brookfield. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah, or, yeah, we have some clients that are like, ah, you know, I don't really feel like driving in. Let's do a Zoom. Yeah. Perfect. Or the locations themselves. Now, in Waukesha, Port Washington, in Racine, Spitz, I think you spend your days there. Yep. Right off Highway 20. That's correct. And the freeway. Of course, in Delafield, that's the latest location, right downtown Delafield and Phoenix, Arizona, and Florida, Cape Coral, Florida. Talk about licensing in all those states. A lot of snowbirds are listening. People that are retired are listening. We thank all of you. But then, Chauncey, we have people that are not retired, and they're planning. And that should start as early as possible. Yeah, as early as possible. I've got some people that ask me advice on their kids that are in their uh, 20s, and we even have a few you know, kids of clients, you know, if they're under that $750,000 mark, because those people are clients of ours, will work with their kids and um, just, you know, help them out and start saving. Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks are huge, uh, especially when you're young, you're in low tax brackets, not at the peak of your income yet. Go ahead and start saving some of that tax-free money. You'll, you'll really appreciate that once you retire. And the longer you put it off, because I was there, that first year out of college... Oh, I'd love to do this, but my check's going to be smaller. Chauncey, the, the first time you do it is probably the hardest, yeah. and then it's you're in. Yeah, and some people say, you know, do it before you even get used to that big check, yeah. right? If you never had it, you're never going to miss it. So, you know, whether it's even if you just start something with like 10% right away, if, if that fits your budget and you can go ahead and do it, start doing it. And then I uh, always give people advice, you know, as you get raises or promotions, things of that nature, um, go ahead and, you know, just take that up a little bit, you know, whether it's a percent, two percent each time. And eventually, hopefully you'll start maxing it out. Years go by and all of a sudden you're, you're like my age, you're old, you're pushing 60. Retirement's <laughs> on the horizon. Yeah. You can almost see it. You can send, but do you have enough? What's enough? That varies from person to person. And that's what we talk about on the retirement clinic. So to kick things off today, Aaron Spitzner, you've got a topic oh, for yeah, us. Oh, yeah, I got some fun stuff today. Got good stuff. Yeah. I got stuff that deals with taxes. Since it's getting to be tax season, I figured what a better subject to cover than taxes. So I got two items today. Uh, I I think I'll start with the uh, being audited. Uh, what are your chances of being audited? I also had uh, how bonuses are taxed and why it matters. Um, we get that question a lot from individuals. You may get it from friends or family. Hey, I'm getting this paycheck, uh, getting a big bonus, and, and they're expecting one thing and another actually happens, right? You're expecting this big bonus to come into your bank account, and then you find out. You from your employer? Yeah, and then you find out the IRS took a big chunk of it. Well, yeah, it's taxable income, isn't it? It is, and they actually withhold at a higher rate. Just as, I just assume everything's going to be no. taxed. Yeah, so I guess That's we'll start. General rule. I, I, guess, I guess I'll start with this one really quick, just because it does surprise a lot of people, and it is getting to be like bonus time for some people. Yeah. Maybe they get, you know, the 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 bonus comes in from last year, and um, and this is an article that was actually uh, published here on uh, it was actually on Yahoo Finance, and it caught my attention because it is some a question that gets asked periodically about bonus bonuses and and how they're taxed and why it matters. Um, so I'll, I'll really keep this one brief uh, so I can move on to the next topic here. But how much are bonuses taxed? Uh, if you noticed that your bonus seems to be taxed at a different withholding rate, 
you are not wrong. There are two different methods for how much tax the payroll department deducts. But in general, federal income tax rates on bonuses work out to be around 22%. Uh, so the, there are two different methods. The, the first method is the most popular here, method one, the, the percentage method. Many employers prefer the percentage method because its withholding rate is straightforward. This flat rate method requires your employer to withhold 22% of your bonus plus an additional 7.65% for Medicare tax and Social Security taxes. So these bonus tax rates apply regardless of your tax bracket up to the first $1 million. Well, now you're over, according to my math, you're well over 30 Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So so instead of that thousand dollar bonus or whatever it was, yeah, here's it's more like six seven hundred bucks. So here here's a, a good example here. Let, let's say you get a three thousand dollar bonus. Your employer uses a flat rate percentage method and deducts twenty two percent off the top, resulting in six hundred and sixty dollars of federal tax withholding. Man, that's just a terrible thing. You're expecting yeah. one thing to hit your bank account and then... Well, you're all happy because so, of the bonus. Yes. Now, these are for people that actually follow up and look at their payroll stuff. Yeah, so they look, should be doing But a lot of times people can't figure out those. Like, what? You know, I'm so used to having this amount withheld and now it's so much higher. So that 22% because... You, so here it goes on to say, because you, you're married, filed jointly with less than $89,450 in, in adjusted gross income, your tax rate is actually 12%. So you, they're using this example for like a married couple and saying, hey, if, if their income is less than $89,450, uh, the tax rate is, is actually 12%. So with the flat rate method, the IRS would owe you about $300 come tax season. So it's nice to get like, okay, I got this bonus. They withheld a bunch, but come tax time, you should get a bigger check back so the government really got this nice tax-free loan from you which kind of sucks but yeah um that's the whole thing every tax season when people get a refund i mean one of my daughters I'm, i shouldn't call them out publicly but i will one of my daughters <laughs> when she, when they get the refunds they're happy i got a refund i'm explaining that's not a good thing yeah generally that means you've been giving the government too much during the year yeah the the nice interest-free loan for them though yep yeah you're welcome is what the irs just I mean, said there are there are ways to adjust it but a lot of times people just carry on move forward yeah. other things in life are going mm -hmm. on they're busy and uh well and spitz not to put a damper on your topic it's a, an important one the word taxes honestly people are scared by it they just eye roll and they they put it on the back burner oh yeah i'm not gonna worry about that now you know, so, thing. you know, I guess I'll, I'll stop there. Just I just want to let everybody know kind of where that stands when you get the bonus. 22% is usually the, the method that the uh, your um, payroll department will use, 22%. And then, of course, you have the, the uh, Medicare and Social Security taxes as well. There's another method called the aggregate method, which isn't quite as important. Um, it's not gonna, They're not going to really overwithhold in that situation. But um, the, really the topic I wanted to get to today is, is pretty fun. Um, it's... It's about uh, being audited. Okay, yeah, that sounds like fun. So we have uh, nineteen <laughs> IRS red flags. What are your chances of being audited this coming tax? And year? audits can be your personal, but all, all businesses can be audited. Oh, they can come at you, yeah, for for anything. But really, the the chances of being audited, um, I think, are pretty small. I I think it was something somewhere around like one percent of people are actually going to be audited. Um, 
So, yeah, so this is an article by Joy Taylor. Uh, this is one from Kiplinger. I know Joe reads a lot of Kiplinger. He talks about it on the show a lot. It's a, it's a great source for uh, retirement articles. And, and in this one here, as it, it mentions, as you're getting ready to file your tax return, you may be wondering about the chances the IRS will audit your return. Your fear might be heightened knowing that the Inflation Reduction Act, enacted two years ago, gave the IRS $80 billion, that's $80 billion with a B, and extra funds over 10 years with a large chunk of that money to be used by the agency for increased enforcement activities. Woo. Uh, Congress has clawed back about $25 billion of that funding in last spring's debt limit deal. So that's okay, right? So of the $80 billion, they got back $25 billion not to be used for the IRS. So most <laughs> taxpayers are happy about that. Um, but the majority of individual returns escape the audit machine. So that's good as well, right? So but most of us aren't going to be audited. Um, here is the stat here. The IRS has audited um, significantly less than 1% of all individual returns in recent years. So again, odds of being audited are small, but they have ramped up spending to come after you and I. I was wondering why you're audited. Is it random? Does a red flag pop out? Hey, here's Paul. Audit him. No. So here, there's no sure way to predict an IRS audit, but these, these are the 19 audit red flags, Paul, you should uh, uh -oh. you should take note of if all you right. don't want to be audited. And I'm not going to read the, the detailed paragraph on all of them for the sake of time today. Um, but just to highlight a couple, I mean, the first one is pretty obvious here, guys. <laughs> Failing to report all taxable income. <laughs> well, definitely, uh, you'll yeah. you'll show up on their screen, right? All of your income, if they're generating a 1099 at work or, or a W-2 at work, mm -hmm. a 1099 for your retirement accounts, that's going to the IRS. You must file taxes. So they yes. know you have that income. Yeah. If you don't show that income on your tax return, guess what? It's like an immediate red flag. They're coming after you. And Probably pretty, it, it, pretty quick. And, and usually harsh. usually those can be solved without an audit. It's just kind of like, hey, you owe, you owe us some money. Um, number two, any, any, any guesses on the number two red flag? Making a lot of money. <laughs> Making a lot of money will lead to an audit. Um, here it states that um, the treasurer, um, so we have taxpayers earning under $400,000 won't see increased audit rates. So there you go. <laughs> So you go over four hundred thousand dollars, you're going to see an increased rate of, of that one percent just went up. Yeah, your chance of being. You know what I also thought is fluctuations in income. One year I made just say a hundred grand, <laughs> then you're at seven hundred thousand, one point six million, then back to a hundred thousand. Large fluctuations. Yeah, I, I think that that falls under uh, under some of these that are definitely in here in in different words. You know, they they talk about non filers. Yeah. Um, people that maybe have a lot of income but don't show any income for whatever reason, yeah. um, that's definitely going to uh, trigger an audit or the potential to be audited. Uh, taking higher than average deductions, losses or credits, taking large charitable deductions. Like if they look at your income level and they don't think really that they know what the average you know, a yeah. charitable uh, gifting amount is. And if they look at yours and all of a sudden it's way off the radar – it's probably going to uh, trigger give fifty thousand dollars to goodwill of stuff, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Your church received a million dollar grant from your checking account, stuff like that. Oh yeah, uh, I mean it's a good thing if it's legitimate. Sure. What we're talking about is not 
legitimate. This is an, another obvious one. Running a business, sole proprietors reporting at least $100,000 of gross receipts on Schedule C, and cash-intensive businesses, so taxis, car washes, bars, hair salons, restaurants, and the like, have a higher audit risk, um, which makes sense. because well, The restaurants and, and bartenders and waitresses do make tips, folks. Everybody knows this, right? I know there's yeah. talk of possibly taxing them someday with... God forbid that would happen, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just society's always built on. You can tip the guy, right? Should that be taxed? Mm. Well, what about the tip chart? The local musician with his tip chart out. Well, I mean, we laugh, but <laughs> is that going to be taxed yeah. someday? In general, you've got a target on your back, Spitzner. I, I think mean, that's in, what you're saying. In general, anytime you have earned income, it should be reported. I yeah. mean, that's up to the individual, but. Um, yeah, you're right. Like Uber drivers, you know. Here's a good one: writing off a hobby loss, and a lot of people talk about this one. So you're a prime audit target if you report multiple years of losses on Schedule C of the Form 1040. You run an activity that sounds like a hobby and have lots of income from other sources. The IRS is on the hunt for taxpayers who year after year report large losses from hobby-sounding activities to help offset other income, such as wages or businesses or investment earnings. Um, so to be eligible to deduct a loss, you must be running the hobby in a business-like manner and have a reasonable expectation of making a profit. Uh, if your activity generates profit three, now these are the rules here, if your activity generates a profit three out of every five years or two out of every seven years for horse breeding, just, just so you know, <laughs> really, uh, the law presumes that you're in a business to make a profit unless the IRS establishes otherwise. So if you're audited, the IRS is going to make you prove that you have a legitimate business and not a hobby. You know, so I guess in other words, some people would run a heavy a business or just take the losses against other income. You have to show them that, yes, I am trying to actually make a profit. The, to quote the famous Seinfeld line that uh, <laughs> you don't even know to write off is Jerry. I'm sorry, Kramer. Kramer. And Kramer's like, no, I don't, Jerry, but... They're all doing it. They're all writing it off. <laughs> so what is a write-off? When, when people do this, when we, we can joke about write-offs, but dinners and get-togethers, entertainment, it's a very tricky thing, and those laws change almost yearly. Yeah, and you got to be careful. Like, you can't just, um, like, for example, if you have a business that you have at home and you have, and I, again, I'm not an accountant, so i got to be careful. I can't really talk about, you guys like, aren't CPAs, can't, can't, I can't give tax advice, but I can right. just tell you what I know is like, hey, if you have like a business at home and you're using your internet for Facebook and things like that for just for, for fun, uh, or does, you're streaming your shows on Netflix, but then you can't like allocate all of that expense to your business, yep, right? Yes. Just to reduce your income. You can probably allocate a portion. I don't know what that percentage is or anything like that. You talk to your accountant, but you got to be careful with all these expenses. Like if you buy tape, you know, you throw that against the business. Well, I, yeah. used, I used a little piece of that tape for the business and the rest of the wrap presents for Christmas. That's right. You got to be careful with things I, like mileage, that. Mileage, I know, for people in sales and gas and all of that yeah. stuff. Sure. So like the IRS is going to look pretty close at that. Um we got some more time. I can fly through a couple more. Of fly these through here. some more. All right. Uh, eight, and I mean, this is only eight out of 19, but failing to report certain professional earnings as self-employment income, uh, claiming rental losses. Here, they're a little bit careful. You know, this one goes into more detail as well. The IRS actively scrutinizes large rental real estate losses, especially those written off by taxpayers claiming to be real estate pros in polling returns of individuals who claim they are real estate professionals and whose W-2 forms or other non-real estate Schedule C businesses show a lot of income. 
Agents are checking to see whether these filers work the necessary hours, especially in cases of landlords whose day jobs are not in the real estate business. So people obviously taking big real estate losses, even though they have other, exactly. they're not really a real estate pro. This is or, so good because I'm watching the Sopranos season six right now. <laughs> and this is what Tony Soprano needs, a W-2 from the waste management to prove he's got a job, right? <laughs> he's a mobster. Uh, I'm just thinking of this. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's all right. Claiming the American Opportunity Tax Credit, that one really goes on to saying people, that's like in a, for education. education yeah. yeah, and they're just milking it. They're using it for more than four years. Uh, incorrectly reporting the health premium tax credit that relates to Obamacare and health insurance subsidies. If you're, um, if you need health care, let's say for a lot of our clients, they're younger than 65. They're not, they don't have an employer plan. So they're not on Medicare yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're incorrectly reporting that tax credit and kind of working the system. You got to be careful there. That's right. You do need a good, and it's, and you guys, you know, yeah. So we have trusted contacts and this comes up all the time. Like with that, with the one I just talked about with the, um, with the health, premium tax credit um i mean you got to have a good a good account to work with yeah, so yeah. we have trusted contacts that we refer out to that we know just do a great job for our clients so taxes audits chauncey when you took, put together a retirement plan as a certified financial planner with your yeah, clients that's right you want to get the best returns possible and have a good solid retirement plan but there's so many side issues there's estate planning we've had those guys on the show mm-hmm. there's taxes and the tax ramifications with investments are huge. Yeah, and we try to account for taxes. Don't try. We do account for yeah. taxes in our plan. You know, it depends on if you have large taxable accounts, IRAs, Roth IRAs, all those things are taxed differently. Um, and so we try to take that into account when we're doing our planning as well, um, just to make sure we're, we're taking in account, you know, not just the distribution from the account, you know, to, for living expenses, but also the taxes that come with those distributions. Yeah, like like minimizing your taxes. Like think about it this way: you got a million dollars in an IRA, and you're in a 22 percent federal tax bracket, and now you're paying state tax on this too. Like a quarter of a million dollars is not really yours in retirement, right? It's, yeah, it's really going to go to the IRA. Or to the state or to the federal government. Mm-hmm. Really kind of depresses me. Yeah, it really. I mean, they're like, hey, I got the million dollar mark. Well, uh, no, you didn't. Because, like, three quarter, a quarter of that is probably going to go to the state or to the federal government. And well, somebody way gets taxes. paid. And, uh, and our goal, right, to minimize that. To, somebody to try says to look they make $100,000 a year. Their gross pay is $100,000 a year. Their net pay, yeah. not even close. Yeah, so we, we want to minimize that with avoiding. These 19 ways of, of right. being audited. Did we get through all 19? Um, you know, that, that the, the one we were just about to hit on uh, does relate to retirement planning as well. Taking an early payout from an IRA or 401k, um, making sure that's reported properly. And then the last couple here are just kind of funny, like operating a marijuana business. Okay, you, pr- you may get audited. There's probably cash-intensive business there. Um, well, even though in, if it's in a legal state like Colorado, Illinois. Yeah, but a lot of cash is coming in. Don't, so they, be, ex- don't be surprised <laughs> if you get audited. Yeah. The uh, the other one here that I thought was pretty interesting was um, uh, the last one here I'll, I'll say is failing to report gambling winnings or claiming big Ooh. gambling losses. So uh, this is kind of a funny story, but I, I heard this from someone that uh, back in the day, uh, you could have a big winning, a big gambling winning, okay? Well, and then you want losses to offset that, gambling losses to offset the wins. So what this particular person would do is they'd go to the casino and they're looking for crumpled up tickets. Losing tickets. Yeah, and then they'd use that to offset their hmm. their wins. Yeah, so they had the proof, although it was Now with everything electronic, yeah. 
that's not very hard to do. Yeah, so in general, wouldn't you just say follow the IRS rules and regulations? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's why we're going through ways that you you know make sure you you hire a professional. If yeah, there's that, any question. But that being said, yes. what I said to Chauncey, it's part of your retirement plan. You want to make sure you take full advantage of every possible. I'm not going to say loophole, but you know what I mean. Any possible tax regulation law that's out there? Yeah, we, we talked about having a, a business, right? I mean, you, it's okay to to allocate your expenses. I mean, towards your towards your income, mm-hmm. you just gotta have it. You know, um, everything written down in logs. If it's miles, you gotta have your Make receipts, sure your expenses. Well. Yeah, receipts, your, your receipts are very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, restaurant owner buys that new deep fryer for the kitchen and back, right? <laughs> That's yeah, <laughs> stuff you like probably want to have that documented. So yeah, just weigh, you know, weigh or what are your chances of being on it? Very small, but you know, just keep these items in mind as you get through another tax season. Yeah, I mean, I've, I I was audited when I was 19 years old. Wow. <laughs> Uh, it you was, fell, you were right on their radar. It was my band. I was we were just starting a band and legitimately where you're filing, you know, your taxes every year. So um we settled it. The IRS is they're willing to work with you if you're cooperative, I guess. Uh but you must be cooperative and uh you don't think you're gonna get audited until it happens to you. I, I know of I've never been in jury duty. I know of several friends recently they've got served the papers there and their first comment was, I never thought I'd be on a jury. Yeah. And now I'm going to be. Yeah, and the other thing with being audited too, right? They'll look they'll look back at like seven years of of uh, statements, things like that. They can re- they can request. I believe it's up to seven years. I've always my tax guys have saved, save everything in a minimum of seven. Yeah, and I remember when I used to work at the bank call M and I Bank in the call center way back when, um, and we would get a request every once in a while, somebody being audited, and they would need a copy of all those statements. And um, banks are not afraid to charge a fee for that. <laughs> so not only well, are you getting notified that you're being audited by the IRS, but now you're having to pay a fee to get a copy of all these statements yeah. to give to them. I will give you another. It's like a double whammy. Somebody who's worked in the media for over 30 years, if you um, public record is public record, and you have a right to pick up those hard copy reports of anything you ask. Let's say it's a village of Franklin. They charge you for them. You know, it's like a dime a page or something. Gosh, to to get that stuff, but it is public record. But they don't. It's like you're a real pain in the butt. You again. So, um, yeah. So, so be Folks, careful this tax the season. The lesson to be learned with taxes. Follow the rules and hire a professional if you have any question or doubt on what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want to definitely avoid that that uh, chance or reduce that chance of being audited. Well, Spitzner, that was a great opening topic, right? We talked about taxes here. We talked about auditing. What's next, Chauncey? Well, you just barely mentioned estate planning a little bit there. It's also something we deal with, so we're going to discuss the best and worst assets to leave your heirs. Chauncey Weisensell is here, and so is Aaron Spitzner of the Colwell Investment Group, the retirement specialist. Here's a phone number if you've got any questions. Call the Cowell Investment Group, 262-522-4040. 262-522-4040. Visit their website, thecowellway.com. The Retirement Clinic, WISN. We'll be right back. It's the Retirement Clinic, WISN, with Chauncey Weisensell and Aaron Spitzner, the Cowell Investment Group, the Retirement Specialist. 
thecowalway.com. Chauncey, in this segment, you, you kind of teased us a little bit before, but uh, lay it out there. What do you got for us? Yeah, we're going to talk about some of the different assets people own and which ones are good to leave to your heirs and which ones uh, are maybe going to cause them a bit of a headache. So a little estate planning. Yeah, a little bit of estate planning here. Um, so over the next 30 years, Americans are set to transfer trillions of dollars in wealth from one generation to the next. Um, the average inheritance a few years ago was about uh, $93,000, uh, according to the Federal Reserve. On different assets like ass, like cash, Roth IRAs, uh, are great to inherit because they're easy to value. Um, other things like life insurance uh, and brokerage accounts, um, you can put beneficiaries on, and that'll help bypass probate. And again, easy things to value. Um, but all, not all things uh, pass equally. Um, below here, we have four of the worst and two of the best assets to leave your heirs. Uh, so the first one on here that's one of the worst, uh, they say, is guns. Really? Uh, yes. Um, as an inheritance, uh, guns are a giant headache. You can't just hand them over, right? In some cases, um, you need to get registrations or permits, um, things like that, um, that can cause just a world of headaches. And yet, you, I mean, this state is full of, what, 600,000 deer hunters every fall? Sure. Generations of grandpas that gave their shotguns to their yep. sons, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Not knowing that, oh, there's a there's a law for this. Yeah, right. And in some in every state's a little bit different, right? There's actually yeah. a, a website on here if you're in a different state or want to look up Wisconsin Giffords. dot org. Um, they lobby for different gun law changes and things like that. You can actually go and check the gun laws in your state. Yeah. So transfer. Think of that. You're inheriting guns from your father who passed away. Yeah. I, I would think that would be pretty something to consider. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and right, and then it talks about there can be nightmare scenarios um, where you leave a gun in the trunk of a car or something like that. Maybe you inherit the car or sell the car and um, you can end up with you know big safety issues and what happens if you get pulled over and they search the car and you don't know there's a gun and all sorts of different uh, things that can, that can happen because of that. Um, a good asset that there is to leave, um, they say rapidly depreciating assets. Um, so the example that uh, is given in this article is actually from uh, Kiplinger's Retirement Report. Um, and it may seem counterintuitive to leave behind a rapidly depreciating asset, uh, but from an estate tax standpoint, it's a good idea. Um, if you're going to owe estate taxes, which is not most people, right, um, that are out there, it's you know, like twelve over $12 million uh, a person, so $24 million for a husband and wife. Um, but... If you are one of those people out there, let's say you buy um, a boat, they use this example, for $500,000 and it loses 25, 20% of its value a year. Um, maybe you pass away and it's only worth $100,000. Well, you've just depreciated $400,000 out of your estate. Ooh, that's a lot. Yeah. And so you, you buy a nice car, buy a nice boat, things like that. Um, you can really kind of get rid of some of your cash and buy some assets that are going to depreciate to try to avoid some of those uh, different estate tax issues. Uh, another nightmare one to leave uh, is timeshares. Oh. Right? Everyone always talks about how bad timeshares are, and they can be a good thing, right? Um, if they're used properly and uh, set up well, um, they can be nice to have, um, but it can be you know a pain in the butt for, for your heirs, right? If your kids inherit this timeshare, uh, maybe they don't want to go to Mexico twice a year or whatever it may be, right? And now they're sitting here stuck on the hook for fees and different expenses and all that type of 
uh, things that you need to worry about when it comes to timeshares and what are they supposed to do with that? My my next logical thought is timeshare is one thing. Most people think of inheritance at some point the house, yeah. right? Sure. Um, and that's a biggie. Yes, that can be a big one as well. Um, that's not and that's not on my list, but it's something that everyone inherits a house pretty much, for the most part, right? In case you, unless you sell your house before you pass away. Wait, I got I got to tease the sec not sexy segment anymore. The wealth management, management preservation. preservation. Uh, we are going to be talking about that coming up. Yes. In, uh, Great, great timing with your piece yeah. there. But what, continue the, on the inheritance of a of a home. Yes. Okay. That's that's coming up next yes. right here in WISN. Yeah. So okay. sorry <laughs> to interrupt. Nice. We'll leave that to Aaron. Um, so that's that's a big one that a lot of people have. But you know, timeshares. Um, another one. If we're talking about that, vacation properties, right? Um, you know, let's say some so and so has a house up north, and they leave it to the the three kids and. Well, now who's going to pay what expense and the roof needs to be fixed and, oh, you used it more than I did this year and so you need to pay half and all these different issues that come up. And, you know, the best way to kind of deal with that is really just sit down and talk to your kids, right? Say, do you do you want the house up north? Maybe, maybe none of them want it. And, and have an estate plan, right? Oh, yeah. So that there's no questions after your death when it's too late to have those conversations. Yeah, and that's one of the, the good things to do is a trust fund, right? Set up a trust, set up a will, um, meet with an attorney, right? Make sure that you've got all these things settled up. Make sure you title them all properly. Um, and sometimes it just helps to sit down and talk with an attorney. And so you can really get your, your thoughts and where you want things to go out on paper. And maybe they'll even ask you questions of things you've never even really thought of before. Yeah, not just who is the beneficiary, but life changes. You might want to take some people off, add some to the list, right? Yeah, you have uh, kids, uh, new grandkids, mm-hmm. things like that. You know, we want to update the trust. And you can put provisions in there that says, you know, Johnny and Susie and then any future grandkids, but it's still good to name them and make sure you're keeping up to date oh, yeah. with those types of things. And, you know, you can certainly use trust as well to you know, protect money. If you think, you know, one of the kids maybe is a little bit loose with their money and um, they see a dollar, they spend a dollar, um, you can put provisions in there. And uh, I've talked to attorneys in the past that uh, people have set up um, trusts where, you know, the kids need to wait till they're 65 to get money out of the trust. And the parents are essentially making a retirement plan for their kids at yeah. that point. Yeah. And doing it the right way and putting things in a trust. Yeah. Get that estate plan done. 90% of Americans do not have an estate plan. It's crazy. How many people uh, come and see us and when's the last time you had an estate plan done? I don't have one. And or, it's not about wealth, how much you have. No. It's it's about everything. Who gets the kids? Beneficiaries, yes, but things like this, right? Mm-hmm. So that your kids aren't squabbling about, yeah. I thought I had that cabin. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it. You know, why, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, reduce it, it to writing um, always. And, you know, sometimes it's best to be transparent with them, too. Just say, hey, this is what we're putting in there, right? You don't want any unexpected things to arise mm-hmm. um, when you pass and, um, that's that's definitely the worst of it. Don't bring it up at Christmas. You know, no. Do, do it when you're all of sound mind and body, and just yeah. have a conversation. Exactly. And um, so that's trust is a great way to go. Last thing on here that's not a great asset to leave um, is valuable collectibles, right? So if you have a collection of baseball cards or coins or whatever it may be, um, say, okay, kids, you know, here you go. Well, maybe they don't want it. Maybe they um, don't know the value of these things, right? And they, if you end up going to the wrong person to sell it, if you don't want it, they might try to... Well, I think about like sports memorabilia. And forget the value, one. but maybe yeah. dad wants Junior to have it. He's probably going to have that conversation with him anyway. Do you want these when I'm gone? 
that again can be written into a trust, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And maybe Junior will say, yes, Dad, but then Dad passes away and he's like, I need to find someone to sell this. <laughs> right? The beer can collection. Yeah, so that can be a difficult one, especially to, to value and can be a bit of a headache. Um, and the one quick example they had in here is some this guy had a client that passed away. Uh, and he was a musician and he had this collection of violins. Uh, and he took one in uh, to somebody to appraise that looked like he thought it might have value. And the vi- the dealer said the violin was worth nothing, huh. but the bow was worth $20,000. Whoa, hey, I'll take that. So you go to the wrong guy, and he might say, oh, yeah, I'll buy that violin for $500 or $1,000, something like that. No, and the violin is useless. But twenty grand for just for the, the little bow that with is the string amazing. on it. And how would you know if you're not a... You wouldn't. I mean, art art in general, I have no idea what it's worth. Oh, same here. Art, all sorts of weird collectibles out That's there, right? right? And if maybe if you're going to leave those assets to your kids, if there's a dealer you trust or someone you trust to value I, I those... I wonder if jewelry would be a part of this. Probably, you know, sure. Grandma, mom's jewelry, extensive collection, sometimes into the, oh boy, it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and that's where trusts and things like that, right? And yeah. e- even getting it appraised yourself or if there's a, someone you trust to properly appraise and help your heirs with that, well, leave, I see what leave you their did contact there. information. You worked the word trust in. Into <laughs> that's right. Trust your trust. Uh, good <laughs> stuff. And something to always think about, remember, an estate plan does not mean you have to be wealthy. It just... I, I, we did a trust in Troncy. The weight lifted off your shoulders is tremendous when you're yeah. done, mm-hmm. knowing that it's taken care of when you do pass on. All right. Yeah. So when we come back, Aaron kind of alluded to it, but the inheritance of a home, very common in, in this society, right? Aaron, there are some things that you need to know about inheriting Yeah, it'll be, uh, homes. It'll be more tax heavy again. Kind of, kind of common, common theme throughout the show here that I've had is, is taxes, and we're going to look at Sell your home now or wait until one of us dies. Ooh, timing thing. Because of taxes, you're saying. Uh, That's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. The Retirement Clinic with the Kowal Investment Group, 2522-4040, is the number to call. We'll be right back. Welcome back, WISN. It is the Retirement Clinic and the Wealth Management and Preservation segment. This feature focused for people that have money. Yes. Well, All of our listeners is. have money. Yes. How much? It varies person to person. But you mentioned the inheritance of a home. Yeah, and, and, and this is going to relate really more towards somebody who's trying to preserve money in light of taxes again and, and talking about the most efficient way to sell your house. Now, a lot of people don't think about it, but if you sell your house that has a big gain on it, um, you may have to pay capital gains tax. Um, so this is a question that came in the Wall Street Journal, and I thought it was very appropriate for the show. Um, sell our house now or wait until one of us dies. Now, the question goes like this. My wife and I currently own a primary residence jointly. We paid 80000 for the lot and 210000 to build back in 1989. <laughs> uh, the home currently has a value of $950,000, which would trigger the $500,000 limit on gains. We'll talk about that more shortly. Uh, it would seem unwise to sell the home while both of us are still alive. Am I missing anything? John Geiger, age 68. Uh, the response uh, goes on to say a home is many Americans' most valuable asset, and in recent decades, as the Geigers can attest, homes have surged in value. Geiger, a retired manufacturing executive, is wrestling with the common estate planning dilemma. The tax impact of selling a home can vary greatly depending on when you sell or if you leave it to the heirs. Questions like this 
come down to more than taxes, of course, as there are also costs of maintaining a home and where to live instead. Uh, so this couple built their house, uh, their lakefront house in Hickory, North Carolina in 1989 and have lived there since. The current Zillow estimate is about a million dollars. Uh, this could mean a big capital gain tax bill. The top rate for long-term capital gains is 20% plus a 3.8% surtax can apply for high-income filers. So in this particular situation, um, they have a gain of about $660,000 on the account. Uh, under current tax law for a married couple filing jointly, they will exempt the first $500,000 in capital gains, uh, So, the, which would mean they would have to pay tax on $160,000. Um, and using the top bracket or the top tax rate in this situation, that would be a tax bill of $38,000 just for selling their house that they have lived in. So what do they do? Um well, obviously, again, there are more things that, that go into this. Where are they going to move to? What are their plans there? Or what happens if one of them were to die? Um, so we, we know what the gain would be on the house. We know what the um, the potential tax bill would look like. Um, the other item is, you know, did they make any improvements? Of course, that would add to the basis. Mm -hmm. So if they, you know, put a big uh, addition on, they could adjust or reduce that capital gain. Um, also, there are some rules that they have to, to meet in order to fall into that um, ex exclusion of the $500,000 in capital gains, but we're not going to go into those details today because they've lived in the house forever. That will um, be some future episode. Yes. Well, we have about 12 <laughs> uh, I mean, hours of spare yeah, time. Yeah, we want to go into all that. So so here, here's what happens. Uh, taxes after the death of one spouse. A Geiger wants to know whether it is worth waiting to sell until either he or his wife dies. In most states, including North Carolina, for homes jointly owned by spouses, half of the property's basis is stepped up to the fair market value at the date of the first spouse's death, which would cut the tax bill in half. Uh, so there is kind of a... Now that applies to some states. In Wisconsin, it gets even better. Uh, so in community property states, such as California, Texas, and Wisconsin, the tax advantage is even greater. The entire property gets a step up in basis to the fair market value after the first spouse's death. So keeping your home until, de until death is one of the ultimate tax dodges. So in this particular situation, I really think that, yeah, you'd want to hold on to it. Until at one, at least one person dies. It, until one dies. Like, like if look, the second one dies, wouldn't a trust? We go back to estate well, planning, we'll right? Look, we'll look at it this way: like, if if you sell it today, yeah, okay, your tax bill is going to be you have to be taxed on one hundred sixty thousand dollars in gains, thirty eight thousand dollars. If they live outside of Wisconsin or one of the community property states, they could cut that in half, so they would owe seventeen thousand in taxes. If they lived in Wisconsin and just nothing, they would owe that, nothing in tax. That is wow. I mean, like, holy cow. It sounds like an episode on Dateline, right? <laughs> it does. <laughs> the guy wanted to sell the house, and now the wife goes missing. And... Should we say it again? <laughs> Tax implications, in this case, inheriting the house, but across the board with retirement planning. Aaron, make sure your accountant, your CPA, you're working with them. Yes. And you guys do work again, with them. And there are, there are 
there are so many small rules you got to pay attention to, but oh, this yeah. does come up in conversation from time to time when we're talking about selling a house. Oh, it's huge. And maybe I'm going to move to Florida, but I don't know if I'm going to have tax implications if I sell my house in Wisconsin and I move to Florida. i got to pay taxes on that, or don't I have to pay taxes? Right. Should and I it's sell always or like, just wait until I die? Yeah, and again, in that situation, it's like, well, if you want to get to Florida... You know, <laughs> you probably are going to have to sell and you may have to pay taxes. Let's talk to your accountant. They may be able to adjust the basis depending True. on what you put into it. And there's all those moving parts behind it. Yeah, but the but, flip side, you're not, you don't want to move to Florida. You want to just live in that house. Yeah, then you're probably going to just wait until somebody dies, get a step up in basis, and then maybe move into yeah. an apartment, you know, something like that, a senior living center. Yep, every like case that. is different, right? But yeah, it's just interesting to know the rules and kind of keep that in the back of your mind that, hey, these these rules do apply in Wisconsin. You get a full step up in basis if one of the, uh, if one, if your spouse passes away. And um, also, we'll mention, you know, this, if you've, if you've got a mom that's living in her house, dad's passed on or vice versa. As, it, as children talk about this, what is, was there a trust? Is there an estate yeah. plan? Yeah, what yeah. is your plan, Mom? What is your plan, yeah, like, let, Yeah, like let's say that house was purchased 50 years ago, right? And with the value of homes yeah. today, I mean, that they may have a big capital oh, gain. Oh, yeah. Big time capital gain. And if they didn't take advantage of that rule with the step up in basis when, yeah. when dad died, you know, something like that, you may be missing out. So it's important to loop in your, your accountant and make sure everything is is uh i i guess labeled and uh, documented so you have an up to date record of this yes currently up to date we covered a lot of ground today when we come back information on how you can get in touch with these advisors Aaron Spitzner and Chauncey Weisensel both are certified financial planners at the Kowal Investment Group this is WISN. This week's retirement clinic thanks to Aaron Spitzner and Chauncey Weisensel Certified financial planners at the Kowal Investment Group. Spitz, good stuff. I know tax heavy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, very tax heavy, but it's getting into that season. And just a couple things to. Very important. Yeah. We talked about audits. Um, 1% of you are likely to be audited, but that that there's still a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. Uh, quote, to quote Dumb and Dumber. To quote Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> there's a chance. And of course, you might have a target on your back and blah, blah, blah. We yeah, talked about all this to look good out stuff. for there. Chauncey Weisensell, good stuff today. What if I got a question about my retirement plan yeah, or you, lack thereof? That's right. Give our office a call, 262-522-4040. Happy to get you set up with one of our fiduciary advisors, myself, Aaron, or any of our other wonderful advisors, or you can visit us on thecoalway.com. Yeah, it's a good website. And don't forget, during the Mark Belling Show, 3 and 5 p.m. news blocks, the Coal Investment Group with those daily market updates. Thanks for that, guys. And have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thank you. We're back next Saturday. 10 a.m. here on WISN. It's the Retirement Clinic. Thanks for joining us.